Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. So glad you're with us this morning. We're going to tackle a topic that I think will, I hope, prove to be a blessing, but isn't one that's that popular. We're going to look at the topic of fasting today. You know, I've been a pastor a long time, and one of my favorite things is when someone comes up to me and shares an aspiration for personal spiritual growth that they have. I really enjoy those conversations where someone says, you know, I've been really wanting to grow and to stretch in this area. I'm not sure how to go about it, but God is really pulling on my heart to grow in this way. Can you help? I love those conversations. But in all the years I've been a pastor, I don't think I've ever been approached by someone who said, you know, I really need to grow in the practice of fasting. That's not hard to understand because we actually live in a country where there is such an abundance of food. I mean, it's almost excessive, the amount of food that God has given to one country. The USDA estimates that we throw away or waste an estimated 30 to 40% of our food supply every year. That's staggering. I wish I could say that in my family we're, we're better than that, but we're not. Uh, my son Noah is always quick to remind us that we're not, because it's true. We, we throw away a lot of food. And yet, despite throwing away more than a third of our food supply, 74% of us manage to be technically overweight by the CDC standards. That's how much food we have. We have so much that we could throw away almost over a third of it and still manage to have too much to eat. With food that prevalent, by the way, how many of you love food? I love food too. And in a country like the United States, it's easy to love food, to have a life driven so much by food. One of our favorite aspects of being together is where are we going to eat? And so it's understandable that fasting is not a really popular practice or a topic. In fact, I think it's fa- fasting is one that doesn't just create resistance, but for a lot of us, it actually creates a, an emotion of fear. Like, I don't know if I can fast. And, and the funny thing is, every year when I do an extended fast, I have that same exact feeling. You would think it would get easier over the years, but each year we're about to start the fast, I'm actually nervous and a little scared. Now, I'll grant you that um, intermittent fasting has become very trendy these days as a health and fitness strategy, but the spiritual practice of fasting has really um, fallen out of fashion in the church. And I don't know if you have a regular practice of fasting, but it appears all over Scripture, and it has been a staple practice of spiritual discipline for the centuries since Jesus where those who really want to draw nearer to God engage in this practice. And I think we're missing out on a really huge blessing for spiritual growth when we don't fast. Having said that, I have an extended fast once a year, and then I don't fast for the rest of the year, and that's something I've realized I do want to grow in. When I was in seminary, it was my weekly practice every Thursday to fast, and even though it happened every week, I'll be honest with you, I dreaded Thursdays. <laughs> it actually helped because we were so broke in seminary that at least one day a week we'd have to spend money on food. 
But I can say that fasting is something that I'm not an expert in. So I'm not speaking to you as one who has climbed that mountain and wants to tell you about it. I'm saying I think we need as a church together to grow in the practice of fasting. The Bible records a lot of instances where people fasted. And, you know, I can share with you a few examples of it to give you an idea. Why would people fast? Why why would anyone voluntarily give up food as a way of having a spiritual experience? Um, Sometimes people did it to mark a season of repentance. When Samuel was the leader of Israel, the people were very far from God. And under his leadership, they began to turn their hearts back to God. And that's what repentance is. It's not just feeling sorry. It's turning around. It's, it's like a doing a 180 and returning to God. That's what true repentance is. And the people were doing that. And so they declared a fast as a way of marking that season of truly repenting and coming back to God. Sometimes people fasted as a way of expressing their deep grief over loss. In the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, who's living as an exile, hears news from back home in Jerusalem. He asks these people, hey, how is it going with our remnant that is back in Israel? And he hears terrible news that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And he realizes what a shambles their holy city is in. And he says that he wept, he sat down, and for some days he mourned and fasted and prayed. So sometimes we fast as a way of marking a deep loss or a season of terrible grief in our lives. Sometimes people fast as they pray in order to somehow give an expression of how desperate they are for the help of God. When David had sinned with Bathsheba, had arranged for the killing of his good friend Uriah so that he could take over his wife. And when he had impregnated her and that that baby was about to be born, and then they, they realized the baby was sick. And David, not only because of concern for his new son, but also because he realized that this was in part a way God was communicating to him what he had done wrong, there was a deep grieving and a desperation in his spirit that this baby would not pay the price for something he'd done. So he cried out to God with fasting. He refused all, these, all offers of food, and he prayed and wept for days. Sometimes people fast because they're afraid. They're facing something dangerous, and they're seeking God's protection. Ezra, who was also a leader during a time of exile, led some people back to rebuild some parts of Jerusalem. And and this one I just got to read for you because he said he proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. And they were urgently fasting because I love how honest the Bible is. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had already told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. So Ezra could have asked the king to send soldiers. But because he'd already bragged, oh, our God will protect us. They're like, dudes, we need to fast and pray because we have no other protection but God. If you've ever been in that place, you understand why people might fast. is a way of saying we're really afraid and we're desperate for the help of God. And then another occasion, and there are many others, but here's one where in the New Testament, the church had gathered, and with prayer and fasting, they were getting ready to send out a new worker. 
They set apart Barnabas and Saul for a special mission to, to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. And it was a prayer and fasting. They were saying, God, this expresses our desperation that you would pave the way ahead of these men so that their ministry would bear fruit. We're not just sending guys to do a job. We believe this is the work of God. And so with our fasting and our prayer, we're asking you to bless whatever they set out to do. What all these different examples of fasting in the Bible reveal to us, what they might have in common is this. Fasting is a way of physicalizing what is happening in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirit. Fasting is that place, that intersection, where our physical bodies and our spiritual or inner being meet face to face. It's a way of connecting our bodies or involving our bodies so that our bodies feel something which reflects what is happening in the spiritual realm. And also our bodies help train our spiritual realm, our inner being, to go in a certain direction. And the thing is, we often live without acknowledging that deep connection between what's inside and what is outside. We are embodied beings, which means like it or not, while most of what we see as ourselves exists in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit, you know, when you say, who am I, mostly you think about your thoughts, your feelings, your intentions. And yet, what God never lets us forget is that that mind and heart and spirit are encased in a body made of flesh. And that body made of flesh has limitations. It has certain laws that govern it. And so those two things are always joined together. And yet the way we pursue God is often when one or the other, they don't join all that often. That's why I really appreciated when we're going through the Crown Bible study, that as we talked about our recognizing that God is the owner of everything and we are just stewards, we opened every gathering. This is the rule of Crown Financial is you have to kneel on the floor to pray as a physical posture of submission before God. So that as we pray to acknowledge that God owns everything, we were physically bowing before him as a way of involving our bodies in that spiritual reality. And I have to tell you, at first I was a little uncomfortable with it, but the more we did it, I realized how important it is to involve our bodies in our spiritual life. It's so important. And fasting is one of the ways that we really make that connection real. Now, I want to start with some definitions quickly, because people talk about fasting in a large, a wide spectrum of applications, and I think they're all valid, but for the purpose of this message, I want to restrict the comments about fasting to this. I'm going to talk about fasting as the voluntary abstaining from all food for the purpose of spiritual growth and intimacy, for a set time and for a set purpose. Now, I, I've heard that, you know, and we've, we've even encouraged this before, fast from social media, fast from chocolate, fast from um, sodas, fast from Netflix, whatever. And those things are good. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's not a valid fast. There's a kind of fast that takes bits and pieces and cuts them out of our lives. But I really think that kind of fasting falls more under the realm of discipline and self-control of learning not to let everything have so much power over us. And there's validness to that. I, I want us to practice that. But when I talk about fasting in this context, I'm really talking about abstaining from all food because something different happens within us when we take away all food. I found that when I fasted from social media, for example, it had a good effect, but I also found that I re replaced social media with more online videos. 
And when I got rid of chocolate, I found that I was eating more chips. Like anytime I take away one thing, you know, nature abhors the vacuum. I can't just take something away. What happens then is I find some substitute to fill that urge because it's available to me. But when I take away all food, something different starts to happen in my experience that cannot be replicated by a partial fast of any kind. And so I want to, I want to really advocate for fasting as viewed as a temporary abstaining from all food for the purpose of attaching our bodies to what is going on spiritually. And I, I hope you understand why we're saying it that way. Our bodies were designed to require food. That's one of the annoying limitations of these physical encasements that we're in is that it requires fuel every day for us to function. And when we're not giving it fuel, our bodies don't let us ignore it, do they? How many hours can you go before you start, your, your mind starts to pick up signals, hey, it's about time to eat? Now, some of us are like, like really focused, right? We can go maybe 10, 12 hours. If you're really lost in an activity, you can forget to eat. When I was younger, I actually was very much like that. I would sometimes go 24 hours and I would come up for air and I just had forgotten to eat. And then I got married and my wife taught me that you don't just eat when your mind thinks of eating. There's time set apart for eating. There's meal times. I, that was not a concept for me when I was younger. Now that I've lived that way for a long time, I can maybe go four to six hours before the need or desire for food wriggles its way into my mind. How about you? How long can you go between eating before your body reminds you, just like the low fuel indicator on your car, hey, it's time to fuel up? And I think God is leveraging that in this practice of fasting, is that he has given us a body with a built-in feedback loop that says, you have to put something in, and if you don't, it will remind you of that hunger, that need for something. And the reason that fasting helps us spiritually is because we leverage that hunger, that feedback loop, to direct our hearts and minds to other hungers which are just as important but often muted because life offers us so many substitutes and diversions from those hungers. There are real hungers beyond the hunger for food that are at the heart of what it means to be a human being, but they're easy to push to the side as long as we have food in our bellies. It's easy to live, for example, without forgiveness or without a sense of, of feeling righteous before God, but those are needs that we have. We have real hunger to know that we are good people, righteous people, that if there's white hats and black hats, we're on the side of the, the good guys. It's really important to know that in spite of the wrong that we've done to one another and to ourselves, that there's forgiveness, that there's release for those things. Those are hungers that we all have. We have a hunger for hope and comfort because every one of us lives in a world marked by loss and disappointment. And we need, we need to know that in spite of that loss and disappointment, there is real hope in this world and real comfort to be found. We have a hunger for meaning and purpose and vision. We don't want to be just zoo animals that exist and eat and sleep and drink and then die. We want to know that while we were here, our lives actually meant something. There is a deep hunger for that. Uh, there's so many other hungers, a hunger to be loved and valued. And all of these other hungers, which are so important to being human, can often get muted as long as our creaturely needs are met 
in abundance every day. And so as we take away food, that hunger pain which revisits us every few hours is now leveraged as a reminder that there are other hungers that drive us and they're important to pay attention to. We set aside a season in which to focus on the other hungers which we're ignoring so much of the time. Do you have a recognition of these other hungers that really drive you? Because likely some of the distress and the discontent we feel deep in ourselves arises not from a lack of food. It's not food insecurity. It's that somewhere deep inside, something else is needed but hasn't been provided in a really long time. And when we fast, it's a way of saying, God, I'm going to invite, involve my physical body in this process of being truly hungry as a human being and finding then in you the deepest satisfaction for the most fundamental hungers that mark my life as a human being. There was an occasion where some people approached Jesus and they asked him this question. Okay? Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? This question is recorded in three of the Gospels, and in one of them it's revealed that it was actually the disciples of John who were asking this question. Have any of you ever done an an extended fast? And I'll say an extended fast in the United States is two days or more. Any of you ever done at least two days? Okay, so if you've ever done an extended fast, or even just a full one-day fast, you know how easy it is to fall into resentment and bitterness and judgment and superiority against all those who are not fasting. I remember every Thursday when I was fasting, some of my roommates did not. I lived in a house with six other brothers, and I just remember sitting at the table so hungry and watching my roommates just shovel food in their face. I'm like, look at you. <laughs> you know, because when you're hungry, you're kind of hangry, and you're, you're sort of annoyed and judgy, and, and it's amazing how easy it is to look down at everyone else who hasn't made the same choice. This might have been a legitimate question, but I think there's some of that going on. Is hey, We're religious people, and we have to fast, and none of us like it. Why do you claim to be the leader of all of us, and yet you and your boys never fast? How is that? It was such a marker of religious faithfulness in Jesus' day to fast. In fact, they did it regularly. If you were serious about your religion, you fasted. It wasn't a question. You fasted regularly, but the way they did it was problematic because in Jesus' day, fasting was approached primarily as an, a form of asceticism, a way of valuing intrinsically the power of suffering, of saying there's something good and purifying in feeling bad. I don't think that is at all what Jesus had in mind, was that there's some intrinsic value in self-deprivation or feeling bad. They also practiced it in a way where when they were feeling bad, they were broadcasting how bad they were feeling. Fasting was done as a way of being seen by other people. It was really important. So here's how, how they would fast. They would walk around going, and people would go, are you okay? Yeah, it's nothing. I just haven't eaten for six days, whatever. 
And they would, they would not groom themselves. Here's the modern equivalent is if you've ever fasted more than a day, fasting breath is for real. Do you guys know what fasting breath is? It's the, the smell your mouth makes when no food comes in. And so I really do recommend if you're fasting, brush your teeth. Chew some gum, not just to assuage your hunger, but because it's the way we signal. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you don't eat for five days. And, it, and it's really possible to fast in a way that's meant to signal your virtue to other people. It's one of the great criticisms Jesus had of the religious leaders of his day. And so he taught on his sermon in the, on the mount, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not, it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The criticism he had of their fasting was that they fixated on the outward form of the practice, but really missed out on the inward power that it can produce in our pursuit of God and intimacy with him. So they're asking him, why don't you or your followers fast? Explain it to us. And so Jesus didn't just blow it off as a rhetorical question. He answered them seriously. And here's his response. He said, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them. They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And listen, so matter of fact, and on that day, they will fast. There's no criticism of fasting. He has no problem with the practice of fasting, but he's giving us a really important clue as to the role fasting can play in the life of a Christian. He's saying that they are not fasting now because fasting is a way of physicalizing the deep spiritual hunger we all feel for God and the benefits of God, for the forgiveness, the righteousness, the purpose, the meaning, the vision, the love, the belonging, the security, all those things, that those hungers that drive us. Fasting is a way of physicalizing that for us to become aware of those things. And Jesus is saying that right now in this season, I'm physically with them and I am the fulfillment of every foundational hunger of their hearts. They don't need to fast because the source of fulfillment is right before them in the flesh. And as long as they are with me, they're satisfied. But a day is coming when I'm going to physically depart from the world for a season. And on that day, the longing will return and fasting will become important again. Because fasting is a way for our bodies and our souls to fully experience and acknowledge how hungry we really are for the things that God provides, and for God himself. A day will come when he's not physically with them, and they will fast again, because fasting will be required to fully experience the hunger and the fulfillment that drives our lives. Is that clear to you? Do you are you with me? So that, that's, that's one of the important things that happens when we fast, is that our bodies get involved in acknowledging just how much we need more than just food. We need God and the things that God brings. And that's why so often when we don't have that awareness and turn to God, we look at everyone else and say, you have to do that for me. 
You have to give me a sense of feeling okay about myself. You have to heal me. You have to fix me. You have to support me. You have to do, and that's okay to ask people that, but it's dangerous because everyone but God is unreliable and limited. I hope, for example, in the context of marriage, we can experience that. But even if we don't, what fasting reminds us of is that there is still a faithful one in heaven to whom we can turn if no one else on this earth will meet the deep hungers that ravage our soul, that drive us. Yet there is one who can satisfy even if no one and nothing else can. You know, when you deprive yourself of food, there's this feeling, what else can fill me right now because I'm so used to being filled by food? And it's an experience of saying, though I didn't fill myself with food, I was sustained because God was able to carry me. It's a way of saying that though nothing on this earth feeds me where I'm hungry, yet in the, in the presence of God, He can give me what the world has failed to give me. That's not to say you should give up on your relationships or excuse people for disappointing you. But it is to say, be realistic. People will fail us. Each one of us has been failed by people. Failed, and we have failed others. We've been failed to find satisfaction in the things we thought it would bring. Every time I buy something new, I think, surely I'm going to be happy now. And I am for like two days. And then it gets old again. I keep thinking I'm going to find something in this world to fill that big hole, but nothing seems to. And fasting is a reminder that you can survive that even if the world does not provide for you what satisfies your hunger. There is one who can. And we're meant to find that in him. Otherwise, we will keep turning to other people and to other things and walking away disappointed because no one seems to be able to touch that deep, deep part of me. Each, each year during Lent, which begins on Ash Wednesday and ends at Easter, we invite people to set their hearts intentionally on Jesus. It's a season of about 40 days where we prepare our hearts so that when Easter comes, which is the highest holy day in our calendar, it's not just another day that rolls around, but it's a day for which we have prepared ourselves so that when it comes, we feel emotionally and spiritually ready to appreciate what that day symbolizes. And so we practice Lent because it's a way of systematizing or making intentional that practice of getting ourselves ready for the meaning of Easter. We, we invite everyone to do something that sets aside attention and focus on that relationship you have with God because we may not always put that much attention on it during the year, but at least during Lent, what we're asking is really pay attention to your soul, to the relationship that you, you truly enjoy with God, your Savior. For the last several years, We've invited people to join in a one-week fast during Holy Week. And for us, the the way that the fast works is we begin on Monday and we break fast after Good Friday service. So it's one full work week, and it's not easy. And a growing number have joined each year, and each year it is really challenging. I want to ask you, if you're barring any serious medical conditions, I'm not asking you to join in the fast if it's going to do some serious bodily harm to you. So please... Uh, consult your doctor if you're concerned about that, and be wise about it. But if you feel God nudging you to join us for the one-week fast, 
rather than just making that decision, would, can I invite you to prayerfully bring that before God and see if he's nudging you to give this a try? And it's totally okay. We've had people join us and find out midweek, I can't do it. I have terrible headaches. I can't function at work. I got up to Wednesday. I think that's a victory for this year. That's okay. That's, we celebrate that. I think the intent and the practice of it is so important. And so I'm going to invite you to consider it. And if you can't join for the whole week, then I'm going to invite you to consider at least one day or maybe two days of setting aside where it's just no food and your whole focus is on pursuing and preparing your heart for the meaning of Easter. When you give up food completely, it does open your heart, but it also has another effect. It opens up a good amount of time and attention and bandwidth that is otherwise devoted to food preparation and food consumption and food digestion. I would say there's a good amount of time spent figuring out what or where to eat, preparing it, eating it, and then that 40 minutes or so afterwards where you're useless to the world because you're just sitting there, all the blood and all the energy is just churning away all that stuff. And so food consumption is a huge part of our day. And when you give up food, it's not just your heart that opens, your calendar opens up quite a bit, and it's a perfect opportunity to engage in other practices that normally you feel you don't have room to grow in or explore. So I invite you to fast, but I also invite you to feast. It's a little play on words, just add an E, because I think it's really important that we don't just engage in self-deprivation. When we do that, nature abhors a vacuum. When you just scoop something away, it's hard for the human heart to contain just emptiness. We have such a yearning to fill it. If you don't fill it intentionally, something else will fill it. That's the law of the spiritual realm. When we just leave a hollowed out space, something else will rush in to fill that emptiness unless you decide what goes there. And so what we recommend strongly when you're fasting is don't just give up food and then spend an hour at lunchtime stewing over how much your stomach hurts, how much you miss food, how much you resent everyone else who's eating without you. Don't do that because that would be a wasted hour. I want to encourage you during mealtimes to leverage whatever time would have been spent on food in pursuing something else which you want to feast on, some activity which you know will edify you which will grow your relationship with God, but which normally you don't have the bandwidth or time to pursue. I know lots of people who say, you know, I really should be a reader, but I'm not a reader, and uh, I just don't have the bandwidth or the space in my life for books. You know, to read books requires peace. It requires a, a bit of slowness, and most of us don't have that kind of margin in our lives. But when we're fasting, it's an awesome opportunity to set aside at least an hour and a half each day to pursue something intentionally during mealtime that you really want to add into your life. Maybe what you're finding is you need new ideas, new thoughts that will edify your faith. So you'll pick up a Christian book. Or maybe you just realize you have not feasted on the Word of God, and now you've got time to at least devote 30 minutes a day to reading Scripture without feeling rushed. Maybe you just don't have any time where you spend talking with God or listening to God, uh, and so I would really encourage during Lent, maybe during mealtimes, take a long walk. Just go outside, put on a comfortable pair of shoes, and just start walking for a half an hour. Return when your lunch break will be over. And during that time, just talk to God. Be with him. Listen to what he's trying to say to you. And the fringe benefit is you get your body moving at the same time. 
Maybe you want to grow in generosity. So during Lent, you can think about how you can make your resources, your time, your attention and energy available to someone else in your life who really needs your support. Now, fasting, especially if you do it for a whole day or longer, requires a little intentionality and planning. You have to prepare for a fast. Each year before the five-day fast, one of the things I do is I set aside electrolytes and things like that so that I'm not going to faint in the middle of working because I still have to function. I have to come to the office. And so I make sure that I prepare in advance to have beverages that will replenish electrolytes. And I tell the people around me, hey, it's my intent this year to fast for five days. So I, not everyone, but I tell my family so that they can support my endeavor rather than getting in the way. I don't want my wife to schedule like six lunch gatherings and social outings during that week because then I, I just got to be the bummer who just sits there and goes, uh, you guys go ahead and feel comfortable eating. I, I, I just, I want to make sure that I prepare my schedule so that that week I am distraction free, able to focus on what I'm doing. And in the same way that fasting requires intention and planning, so does feasting. Don't just wake up and go, what do I want to feast on today? Have a plan. What is it that you want to add to your life that pulls you closer to God, deeper with Him? What practice is it that you've never really engaged in before, but you want to explore? And then learn about it. Set up what resources you need. If there's a book you want to read, if there's a part of Scripture you want to read, designate that in advance. Set out a schedule for yourself. One year, I really wanted to grow in intercessory prayer. I realized I was praying a lot for myself and not enough for other people. And so I set up a schedule where the people I cared about, things that I knew were heavy on their hearts, I set up a schedule to pray for each of them at every mealtime. And it requires some preparation in advance. I want to encourage you to set a plan in motion so that during Lent, you have some regular practice of self-denial and at the same time, adding into your life something that elevates your relationship with God. Both require intentionality and both produce in us a kind of openness that are hard to replicate under any other circumstances. There's something that happens during a fast that no other experience can reproduce for us. And, And that feeling is a bit like the runner's high No one who hasn't experienced it believes it exists. They say, oh, in the 20th mile of a marathon, you break through the wall and you get a high. I'm like, yeah, I'll never know that in this lifetime. I'm pretty much sure of that. But at day three of a fast, hunger ceases to be a challenge. It's kind of still a challenge, but it's not the sharp challenge it is on day one. Hunger becomes a secondary passenger, and there's this freedom a focus, some uh, almost euphoric feeling that replaces that constant nagging hunger. you got to break through to day three to get there, but I'm telling you, it, it's real, it exists. And there's a kind of clarity that is produced, which is hard to reproduce under any other circumstance. So if you have hit a wall, if you're feeling a little plateaued in your walk with Jesus, and you be, feel like, I need something that will help me break through May I suggest for you this year to seriously open your heart to the practice of fasting and see what God might do with it to really touch your life, speak to you, open something up inside of you, or maybe lead you to a personal breakthrough which you've needed. Don't just make up that decision on how you feel. Bring that before God and ask him if this is your year to do it, and if so, to what extent you might participate in it. 
And if you want to join us in the five-day fast, or as far as you can go in that, I really want to encourage you as we send out the email, just say, yes, I'm in with you for as long as we'll go. We really support each other. We cheer each other on. All, all during the week, we share little things that God is saying to us. And so it, it's not like you're doing it alone. It's really important that that's a part of it. We invite you to join us for as far along that week as you're able to go. I think you're going to discover that God will meet you in it. If you really are scared of giving up food, consider starting with just one day. Even in that one day, I've really experienced God at times meeting me in a profound way. So I hope that we can add as a church family fasting to the other practices that draw us deeper, closer to God. I hope you'll seriously consider it because in a land of abundance, going without is such a rare experience for us as Americans. It's rarely imposed on us. It has to be chosen on purpose and for a reason. Can I encourage you this year to consider it? As the praise team comes up, I'm going to ask you if you would just, even in this moment, pause for a minute and see how you're feeling. Pay attention to what your body is saying to you right now, what your mind is saying over and over. Would you open yourself up to the possibility that this year, it might be one of the ways that God is inviting you to prepare your heart for the joy of Easter and what he means to you as Savior and as King. Let's just take a moment to sit with that before God, invite him to say to each one of us what he wants to say, and then I'll pray for us and we'll we'll close our service with some songs. Let's pray together. God, each of us has experienced what it is to have enough because you have been faithful. Most of us for many years have had more than we need. It's so rare for us to have to do without anything that our hearts or our bodies desire. And so we pray, God, that you would give us courage and faith to consider voluntarily giving up food in order to nurture and fully experience the deep hungers that also rest deep within us. Hungers that drive our lives. Hungers that we may have muted but are so important We pray, God, as some in our church will answer this invitation to fast, that if it's a meal, a day, a week, you would be so present with us during that time. Meet us in that place of intent. And as we experience physical hunger and are awakened to the other hungers deep in us, we will find that you are the one who most satisfies the longings within us. Those things for which we keep turning elsewhere, help us to see that you are the one who satisfies. 
You're the one we've always needed. I pray this year, as some venture out for the first time, trying out a fast, that they would have a truly transforming experience of you. Would you be kind and generous in that way? However far they want to go, meet them in that place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a hunger and a need that drives all of us. Time and time again, we find that the world cannot satisfy, cannot meet us in our place of need. I want to especially invite those of you who have been hurt by other people, hurt by the church, hurt by its leaders, disillusioned by the people who stand between you and God. Though you're tempted to give up on people, can I implore and invite you to not give up on God? People are imperfect, but God is perfect. He loves you still. May I invite those of you who have been hurt by the people of the church to consider even a one-day secret fast to say, God, what about you? Do you still love me? Can you still satisfy me? Everyone else has shown they can't. But will you meet me in my place of hunger and need? I believe God can. Don't give up on God. Reach up for him. He can satisfy you. As God invites you to consider fasting, may his voice ring clear. May he sustain you physically and spiritually. May he teach you even in your body that you stay alive because of his love and grace and not from any other fuel. He is the one we most need and he is available to each of us. Know this and be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.